Well, this morning we come back to one more sermon out of our passage. You thought I ran out of text, didn't you? Well, I did. But we've been talking about a subject from 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, where the Spirit, Paul says, explicitly says that in the latter times, the latter days, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And we know that those deceitful spirits and those doctrines of demons um, propagate their lies by what Paul describes as hypocritical lie speakers, men whose hypocrisy is so great that it is their consciences are seared as with a branding iron, and so they can go around sharing their lies without regret or without remorse, without any pain or without any anguish, just happily sharing their demonic lives. And as we've worked our way through this text, I, I wanted to stop. I was hoping that somewhere as we went through, I would have a little chunk of time where I could kind of do a little profile of false teachers, where I could kind of show you um, just some of the characteristics of false teachers and what we are supposed to do with them and what motivates them. And, and of course, it never happened. And so I thought, well, this would be a good time to just take this one last um, uh, Sunday to address this issue before moving on. And another reason was is uh, last summer when we asked for a question and answer, several people asked questions related to this, and I never got to those questions. And so I know it's on the heart of many of you. So this morning we're going to do something a little different than normal. We are not going to go to a specific passage and exegete that passage and, and do our normal expository preaching thing. Instead, we are going to do more of a systematic study um, uh, what we're going to do is survey the bulk of the key passages in all the Bible that deal with um, false teachers and uh, our response to them, what we're supposed to do with them, and so on. So this morning, we're going to have the distilled essence of the Bible, and uh, hopefully you will leave here um, better understanding false teachers, and I want to just give you kind of a profile of them so that you can be on guard against them, because they are in every church, they come and go, and uh, the Bible says we need to know them and know their schemes and uh, be prepared for them to come into the church. Now, as you can imagine, there's a lot of texts on false teachers, and as I tried to synthesize all of these texts down, um, I left out some categories, but I want to give you six basic characteristics or principles or points, uh, truths about false teachers that you need to understand. We are going to look at the source of false teachers. We are going to look at the motive of false teachers, the method of false teachers, the content of false teaching, our response to false teachers, and God's response to false teachers. Now, um, some of you uh, are thinking, well, how are we going to cover all that? And it's going to be a miracle is what it's going to be. Um, <laughs> You need to loosen up your brain because it's going to be like eating lunch with a backhoe. Um, I'm going to dump a lot of material on you. It's going to come fast. It's going to come furious. But um, hopefully you will see just overall when it's done um, just those key elements that you will need to know in order to be on guard against those people who come into the church and arise from within the church to deceive the saints and those who don't know Christ. So let's jump in. We want to look at the source of false teachers. We've already seen this already. I'm not going to um, go into great detail on some of these points. But we know that false teachers are just the wrapper and Satan is the package. The false teachers are the visible part doing the work, but Satan is the God of this world working in the sons of disobedience. We know that from Ephesians 2. And see, oftentimes when we come to uh, deal with false teachers, uh, we see people. We see people saying things and people doing things and people telling lies and people speaking against the Scripture. And oftentimes we think those people are bad. And in uh, essence they are. But what we need to remember is 
What is behind those people? And the scriptures clearly say that Satan is the source behind them. Just as you have a toy with a battery, um, the toy is the big visible part, and what you don't see is the battery, but the battery is what makes the toy work. And that's how Satan is. He is the power source, the energy behind false teachers. And we must never forget that. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 through 15, Paul what described those who were attacking him and his ministry and were boasting of themselves and their ministries. And this is what he said in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen: For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, distinguishing themselves as apostles of Christ. Now notice, there are false apostles. So they want to be seen as apostles, but in reality, they're deceitful workers. So they have this facade they're putting out. They are saying one thing, but they really are deceitful workers. He goes on to say, well, no wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You know, a lot of times we think of Satan coming to the church, you know, with the pitchfork and the horns and the big ugly red outfit, scary, mean, and nasty. That is just far from it. That is something that Satan has used to dupe people further. He comes into the church very subtly, very quietly, very um, surreptitiously. He comes in to deceive people as something very good. And he goes on to say in verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 11, Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. And I just want you to take away from this this. False teachers put the show on of being servants of righteousness. It's not those who are outwardly wicked and rebellious and and you know Satan worshipers that are to the deceivers, it's the ones who have all the jargon, have all the terminology, who speak all the Christianese, and they come into the church in order to deceive you and to lead you astray. In Ephesians 6.12, and I just love this text, it's talking about the armor of God, many of us are familiar with the passage, but this one verse in Ephesians 6.12, I constantly remind myself of this because I forget I forget where the real battle lies. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, as a Christian, the battle that you face, the battles that you wage as a Christian, are not against people. But, he goes on to say, against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That is the battle every Christian is always engaged in against demonic forces. Now, you don't see them, but they are working in the sons of disobedience. Why is it so easy to watch TV for three hours and so hard to pray for 15 minutes? You ever wonder about that? It's because there is a war going on. A war. And Peter makes it clear in 1 Peter 5.8 that Satan prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And how does he devour them? With false doctrine. With lies. With deceptions. He labors night and day. To deceive people. Now, he's behind all of this. And now I want to talk about the motive of false teachers. What is their motive? I mean, why does a false teacher be a false teacher? Well, Satan's primary target, you need to understand, is God. Satan hates God. He wants to usurp God's place. He wants to overthrow God. He wants to do everything he can to attack God. But of course, he can't just attack God directly. So he takes three of the things that God loves the most and he attacks them. And what would those be? God's glory, God's truth, and God's people. Because God loves His glory, is jealous for His glory, Satan tries to steal glory from God. Because God holds His truth up above His name, He attacks His truth. 
Because God loves His people, He attacks God's people. He uses false teachers like bullets to fire away at the things that God loves. Lewis Perry Chafer said, The enmity of Satan is not only towards the person of God, from whom he has everything to fear, but also towards every true child of God. Too much emphasis cannot be placed on this fact. Satan has no controversy or warfare with his own unregenerate people, but there is an abundant scripture to prove that he makes unceasing effort to mar the life and service of the Christian, end quote. And that's you, and that's me. Unceasing effort, the scriptures clearly say, like we just read a couple of the texts, to try and get you deceived, and you to fall into sin, and you to bring reproach upon God. Thomas Brooks, in his work, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, said, quote, Pirates make the strongest and hottest opposition against those vessels that are most richly laden. So does Satan, that arch-pirate, against those truths that have the most of God, Christ, and heaven in them. Satan is out to attack God's glory, God's truth, and God's people. And that is the underlying motive of Satan when he raises up false teachers. Listen to what Paul said about false teachers in Philippians 3, 18 and 19. Just listen to this. He says, For many walk of whom I often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. You see, Satan leads false teachers about by a three-tethered cord. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Satan pays false teachers with those three things, and that's why they work for him. Now, as I went through the scriptures, and I looked at all the motives and all the passages, I did search from Genesis all the way to the end of the Bible, and I collected them all, I went through and I marked and marked and marked, I was able to distill all Three, all, all of the categories, motives, down into three categories. And these are them. The first is that false teachers are often characterized by their greed and love of money. Peter said in 2 Peter 2.3 that in their greed they will exploit you with false words. They are like the prophetess Nodiah and Nehemiah 6, 12, and 13, who was hired by Sanballat to speak against the Israelites, to prophesy for hire, like Balaam, who was to curse for hire. Paul described them to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 5, and we'll get there in about a year, as men of depraved Mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. In 2 Timothy, he described them as lovers of money rather than lovers of God. You see, a person who is in the ministry, who is always concerned about money, who is always concerned about getting more, of having more, of possessing more, you watch out for that person. Because the real godly characteristic of a true teacher is contentment, not greed. Secondly, false teachers want to gratify their flesh. Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 25, listen to this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Their, really, their real motive was to gratify their flesh. Paul described them in Romans 16, 12 with these words, quote, For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. When speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 4, and 6, he described them as lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. 
And then he went on to say in verse 6, There are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. You see, the person appears godly. But really, he is given over to his appetites. He is given over to his own fleshly desires and self-indulgence. So watch out for those kind of people. False teachers are predators. And the, the grounds they hunt in is the church. And they will come around from person to person looking for the person who is weak. Looking for the person who is susceptible and gullible and deceivable. And then they prey on them. And they are not there to help the sheep, but to shear the sheep and to get whatever they can out of the sheep. I remember one time in... Uh, in Boise, we had uh, this guy come in. He had this really nice suit, looked just like mine. Um, a really nice suit. The guy was a smooth talker, had a deep voice, a little southern drawl. He started dropping all these names of all these famous preachers that discipled him and knew him and all the stuff. And after I talked to him, just one time at lunch, I just went away and told the other staff guys, this guy's dangerous. I don't know what there is about him, but this guy isn't, you know, Mr. Name Dropper, Mr. I Can Do Anything, just whatever you want, Mr. False Piety. And, and so he, he stuck around for a while, and finally we said, you know, let's do this. Let's give him a very confined, high accountability area to do one little ministry service. And by the end of his service to the church, he had put the move on two women and scammed three people for large amounts of money. And then at, when we were at the other church we planted, we were talking about the elders here about this guy, and, and uh, one of the guys who was just retired from the police department said, well, uh, I know that guy. He's wanted in like seven states. So he gets on the phone, they come, they arrest the guy and take him to prison. So in the guise of ministry, they sift through the ranks of the church trying to find those sheep they can shear for whatever they can get out of them. So sure, they are greedy lovers of money. They are out to gratify their flesh. And third, they want people to like them and see them as important and teachers of truth. Jesus described the false religious leaders in his day in Matthew 23, 2, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. They sat themselves in Moses' place. He went on to say in verses 5 and 6, but they all do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by men. They love it. No, oh, yes, I'm important. Please take notice of me. Look how long my tassels are. Look how long my goatee is. No, I'm important. I, mean, I want you to know, I am a teacher of Israel. Do you remember how Paul described them in 1 Timothy 1.7? He said, they wanted, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or matters about which they make confident assertions. False teachers want to be seen as teachers. They want accolades. They want approval. They want their egos stroked. Jesus said to the corrupt religious leaders in Luke 6.26, Woe to you when men speak well of you. For their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Woe to you, he says. You remember in the history of Israel, when the false prophets came, the people loved them. When the true prophets came, the people hated them and they killed them. And he says, woe to you, the people like you. You see, deep down they are men pleasers, not God pleasers. They, wanna, they don't want to suffer for God. They don't want to bear the, the reproaches of men. They don't want to stand up for the truth and get persecuted, persecuted for the truth. They want the masses to like them. They want to please the masses. They are men pleasers, and so they compromise the scriptures. They twist the scriptures. They distort the scriptures or deny outright the scriptures in order to receive the love of men. But they are not loved by God when they do that. The real preacher stands up and preaches the truth regardless of what people think. And Jesus said, woe to you because all men like you. 
See, a person who is wanting the fame and wanting the honor and wanting the recognition of other people and affirmation and accolades and pats on the back and all this stuff is not serving God, but his own pride. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is just something that is just pervasive in the church today. Men-pleasing preachers, they make me sick. People who want nothing more than to make people feel good. Now, what we're going to see here in these first six verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is what a real teacher and preacher of God is like. And notice what he says here. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. What Paul is referring about is he has already talked about how when they preached, there was results. People came for repentance. No, they didn't just make decisions for Christ. They had radical life transformations. They got involved in the church. The church grew because they preached in the spirit and in power of the word of God. He says in verse 2, But after we had already suffered, suffered why? For preaching the truth. And had been mistreated in Philippi. Why? For preaching the truth. As you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. Here is the true teacher. The one who doesn't care what what people think. He is there to preach the gospel of God. I don't care if it's amid much opposition. He is not there to please men. He is not there to cater to people's felt needs. He's there to preach the truth before God as the messenger of God, period. And that's why he says in verse 3, For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God we to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God who examines our heart. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. There's one of the other attributes we already looked at. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority, but they didn't. They just came, were persecuted, and kept preaching. And Jesus said, if you preach, and they like you, if everybody likes you, you're in trouble. Woe to you, because that's what they did with the false prophets before you. So the love of money, fleshly indulgence, and wanting the places of power and prominence... They are all distilled down into what John describes in 1 John 2.16 as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. No wonder they're that way, because that's what they are. They're followers of Satan, deceived. And so their God is the godliest man's trinity. Because false teachers are slaves of sin and Satan, they pursue power and fame and immorality. And they have this thin veneer of religion wrapped around them, but inside they are lusting, craving, wanting more, seeing what they can get. Listen to how Peter described them in 2 Peter 2, verses 18 and 19. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves to corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. They're out to corrupt people and lead them into the very things that they lust after. That's their motive. Now, what about the method of false teachers? Now, this was just fascinating. As I went through all these things, and I printed them all out, and I marked them all up, and I just thought, man, this is good. And uh, I was really having a trouble trying to crunch everything down to give it to you. I'm just going to give you 25. <laughs> and I'm not even going to give you any verses. I'm just going to read them to you. So we are going to finish. Um, 
But the big, the big category that pretty much all can be um, summed up in is this. They're working to deceive people. Now, everything fits underneath that one. Satan is the deceiver, and so his emissaries are deceivers too. And this is what they do. Not only do they deceive, they perform signs and wonders. They seduce people from walking according to God's word. They slander, persecute, kill, and try to frighten those who preach the truth. They claim to speak from God. They lead God's people astray. They try to confuse God's people. They want people to take pleasure in wickedness. They have false visions, which they say are true. They preach what feed people's lusts. And I'm telling you, this is a major thing going on today. You go out in the neighborhood, you survey people, you ask unbelievers what they want to have in church, and you give it to them. My goodness, what is that? I like what one commentator said, quote, it is sadly true that no doctrine, however senseless and monstrous, which under the guise of a religious faith ministers to the sexual appetites of men will ever lack followers. You give people what they want, they'll always come if you give them what they want. Eleven, they teach people to worship angels. They claim to have inspired dreams. Their goal is to make disciples to help them spread lies. They prophesy lies. They try to avoid exposing people's sins. Does that sound familiar? They disguise themselves as something good and holy, like shepherds and teachers of righteousness. They try to burden people with man-made religion. They practice hypocrisy. They prey on the weak and the helpless. They major on the minor doctrines and minor on the major doctrines. They are out to rob and steal. They sneak into the church from within and from without and they cause dissension in the church. They cause people to worship demons by partaking in false systems of religion and they adulterate the word of God. There's 25 of them and there's more than that. Lewis Sperry Chafer had this to say in an article he published in Bibsack. He said, quote, Yet the real church has by no means lost her foes, for they are now even more numerous and subtle and terrible than ever before. These present enemies, however, like unclean birds in the mustard tree, have taken shelter under her branches. They are officiating at her most sacred altars and conducting her institution. These vultures are fed by a multitude, both in the church and out, who in satanic blindness are committed to the furtherance of any project or the acceptance of any theory that promises good to the world if it is apparently based on Scripture, little realizing that they are often really supporting the enemy of God. End quote. That is so Crystal clear, man. That is right on. There are so many people out there today, so many churches. You need to realize Satan is all for Christianity, for doing good and feeding the hunger and political activism, helping the poor and helping widows and giving humanitarian aid and preaching goodwill towards all men. He is all for that. He loves that kind of stuff. You see this in the mainline denominations where they're just, you know, citadels of philanthropic good deeds. Where, where the whole church is based around doing good things for people. Except they never do the one good thing. And that is preach repentance and faith in Christ. They leave that part out. They are liberal. They are apostate. They have denied the scriptures. They deny the miracles. They deny the resurrection. They deny the deity of Christ. They deny the inerrancy of the word of God. They deny all of these important things. But oh, they're doing good deeds. And they're Christians. Don't be deceived. Schaefer went on to say, false teachers usually appear to be sincere and full of humanitarian zeal, but they are unregenerate. And such religious leaders may be highly educated and able to, so to speak with authority on every aspect of human knowledge, but if they are not born again, their judgment in spiritual matters is worthless and misleading, end quote. And that is exactly right. 
In the words of Paul in 2 Timothy 3.5, they are holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And what power is that? The power of the gospel. The power of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and calling people to repentance and faith in Christ, to turn from their wicked way. And that's what is missing in their veneer. Oh, they're the Christian church of so-and-so on the sign. But you just go in there. I mean, I... You know, sometime you don't have any... You aren't doing your ministry or something. Just try this one time. Go to one of the mainline denominations. You know, the first church of whatever. And go in there and see if you hear anyone preach the Word of God and call sinners to repentance. Not on your life. Not on your life. They talk about Jesus and they talk about salvation and they talk about forgiveness and they talk about love, but they never tell anyone to repent and believe. They never get around to telling anybody what to do with those things. They don't explain how a person is saved. They speak as if all you need to do is you just come to church and call yourself a Christian and hang around the church and get involved in social work and you'll get to heaven. And any ministry that does not call sinners to repentance and any ministry that does not preach the word of God and stand up against sin and stand up against error is not a church that is pleasing to God but is deceived by Satan to one degree or another. It is a seminary of Satan, not a church. No, enough of that. I almost catch fire on that one. <laughs> Fourth, we've seen the motives... We've seen the source. We've seen what is, what is the, some of the methods. And now I want to look at some of the content. And again, this is just a huge, huge category. And I'm just going to give you 12. Again, we're going to survey them very quickly. But these are just 12 doctrinal errors that when you're in the church, if you've been in the church for a while, these just keep coming up and coming up like phases of the moon. I mean, you just see them over and over again. Oh, yeah, it's another one of those people. First, they teach that it's okay to worship false gods in addition to the true God. And you know, this may not be, you know, Moloch. It's usually something very subtle, like their business. You know, seek ye first the kingdom of this world, and then the kingdom of God will be added unto you. That's kind of their motive. You pursue this, you get rich, and then you can do ministry. Remember, rebellion is the sin of divination and insubordination is his iniquity and idolatry because all rebellion is really a replacing of God. Secondly, they counsel rebellion against the word of God and the commandments of God. Oh, I know that the scriptures say that, but, that's the great, I call it the toilet flush word, that but, where you're talking to them and you're saying, yeah, yeah, but uh, the scriptures say this. Well, I know what the scriptures say, but... And then they have some little way of trying to weasel around it and go, no, 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 no. You know, the scriptures say this. Yeah, that's true. But, and then they're always trying to get away and they want to lead you to, well, pretty soon, well, maybe it's okay to sin against God. And even though the scriptures are crystal clear, yet the Bible says we need to do this. I know that, but, and that's how they go. They teach it is okay to get married to unbelievers. This is common. This is common. So many people are duped here. I have people come into my office and, oh, we want to get married, you know, and there'll be a girl there. She's got a great testimony. She knows the Lord. She's served in the church. She's grown up. And then the guy, he has no idea what the gospel is. And I just say, hey, you can't marry him. And then they get mad at me. I say, well, why are you judging us? I'm not judging us. I'm just telling you, God says you can't marry him. We're going somewhere else. Well, good, because we aren't going to marry you. And off they go. Why? Because I told them the truth. They will claim to be the Messiah. A lot of people arise saying, I'm Christ. And the, some of the youth just ran into a guy who said, yeah, I'm the Messiah. They encourage people to focus on myths and genealogies. You see that in the Mormon church. They teach legalism and asceticism, trying to trust in your own works and your own ways and man-made religions and man-made salvation and man-made sanctification. Eight, they encourage people to tolerate sin and false teaching. You know, let's not be judgmental. Let's not be divisive. 
I mean, come on, let's just focus on the essentials. What are the essentials anyway? Well, I don't know, but let's focus on them. They try and get people to engage in immorality. Well, you know, you're engaged anyways. I mean, it's okay. I mean, you're going to be married. It's okay to commit fornication. Ten, they preach a different gospel and a different Christ. This is a huge one here. They either take the gospel and they twist it, or they take Jesus and redefine him. So people trusting in a Jesus who isn't Jesus, so when they get to heaven, they've trusted in the wrong guy. A non-savior whose name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth who came in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Now listen to this. Why has he blinded the minds of the unbelieving? Here it is. So that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. One of the things they want to do is just come in and just change Jesus or change the gospel just a little bit. You're saved by grace through faith and baptism. Just a little bit so they're thinking, oh man, I know I've been baptized. I know I'm going to trust in my baptism to be saved. I'm going to trust in my repentance. I'm going to trust in this. I'm going to trust in that. I'm going to trust in my whatever to save me. There is only one thing that saves anybody, and that's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. By placing your faith into His death, burial, and resurrection is the only way anyone ever gets saved. It is the single power of God for all who believe. There is no other way. There is no other truth, and there is no other life but Jesus and His work on the cross. F.C. Jennings, speaking of the veil of Satan, said, quote, The veil is not formed by evil living depravity, or any form of what passes evil amongst men, but by cold formality, heartless decency, proud self-complacency, highly esteemed external respectability, and we must add church membership, all without Christ. It is the most fatal of all delusions, the thickest of all veils, and the most common. It is the way... It is that way because it is religious and respectable and decent. It is the way that seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. For there is no Christ, no Lamb of God, and no blood of the atonement. End quote. So one of the big ones is redefine Jesus or redefine the gospel. I mean, you go out in churches today, they don't even know what the gospel is. It's not that they have it and they aren't preaching it. They don't even know what it is. Pastors, preachers. It's amazing. 11, they deny the resurrection. 12, they deny the second coming. Satan works on both sides of the straight and narrow path. There's a straight and narrow path of God's word and the way to heaven. And what they want to do is Satan sets up two sides of the path. I mean, he is on both sides. It doesn't matter which side you go off of. If you go on this side, he gives you just lawlessness, antinomianism. You can do what you want. You're saved by grace. Let's not judge lest you be judged. It's okay. You're forgiven in Christ. You know, God loves you. Let's not be divisive. Doctrine is so divisive. You know, it's, it's just, just, just relax. Just enjoy yourself. God loves you. And many professing believers, they flock like chickens to chicken feed for that stuff. It amazes me. And then on the other side, which is, amazes me too, is, is there's legalism. There's all these man-made really, well, you can't walk on the same sidewalk with a girl. You can't drink any Coke. Whatever you do, don't go here. Don't say this. Don't eat that. Um, you have to do this. If you don't show up on Wednesday night, you know, you're going to hell. You have to go to buy it. You have to pay 10% of tithing. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. And they set up all of these man-made regulations so that pretty soon people are just burdened with this. And then they start clinging to those things and trusting those things because, you know, I'm doing all those things. I know I'm going to heaven. Paul rebuked the Colossians about this very thing when he said in Colossians 2, 20-23, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why? As if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, and do not touch? 
which all refer to things destined to perish in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men, these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. They can't stand up against the flesh. They can't save you and they can't sanctify you. And so Satan sets up two extremes. Oh, you're just permissiveness and no law. And over on this side, ultra law, too much law beyond the bounds of Scripture. Recently, I heard something just, it just grieved me. And this brings us into the fifth. What is our response to false teachers? I heard recently that a very big church, a mainline church with a very decent pastor, somebody that I think you would, you know, would say, I've heard of his books or read his books, had a Jewish rabbi come and preach in his pulpit. He went and spoke at the synagogue and he had the Jewish rabbi come in and preach from his pulpit. Now a rabbi is one who does not believe in Jesus, who does not believe he's the son of God, who is unsaved. A rabbi is one who, being of his father of the devil, has Satan working in him because he is a son of disobedience. He cannot understand the things of God. The wrath of God is abiding on him. And whatever he does, he does for Satan as his slave. And to invite a person like that into the pulpit to feed your sheep, I can't believe it. But that's what's happening today, and of course they get some good press, you know, little ecumenical gestures, and oh yes, we had a false teacher come in and speak to our people today, someone who denies the very Messiah. And again, people would say, well, Jack, you know, we need to love them. We need to be kind to them. You know, we, we judge not lest you be judged. I mean, where's your tolerance? Where's your... Where's your kindness here? And again, it's not what I say, and it's not what you say, and it's not what the majority says. What does the Word of God say? What does the Word of God model? When we look at the Scriptures, what do we find out from the Word of God? And so let's look. Our response to false teachers. Turn to Deuteronomy 13, 3-5. Start in the Old Testament, work towards the New. A lot of people are gullible here. They can't understand how we can stand against false teachings and yet still be loving. And there's this problem they have in their head, trying to figure out how to do that. And we're going to solve that problem right now. Deuteronomy 13, 3-5. Moses, God speaking to Moses about false prophets, says this, verse 3, You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall not follow, or you shall follow the Lord your God and fear Him, and you shall keep His commandments and listen to His voice and serve Him and cling to Him. God says, listen, I'm going to allow false teachers to come into your midst. And you know why? Because I want to test you to see whether or not you love me or them. Whether you love my truth and my ways or their error and their ways. I'm going to allow it to happen. And then he says, verse 5, But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. That person wants to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall purge the evil from among you. Now that's pretty radical. You think about Numbers 25. Here's another example. If you don't know about Numbers 25, it's right after um, Balaam is hired by Israel's enemy to curse Israel. He tries, he fails. He tries, he fails. He tries, he fails. God keeps overriding him and he keeps pronouncing curses on Israel. So finally, Balaam says, okay, this is what we're going to do. You get your best looking, your slinkiest woman, your women, and send them into the camp to seduce the men and get them to worship Baal. And 
I know this God of Israel. He is such a holy God and such a righteous God that he will break out and destroy his own people in order to maintain his holiness. So do it. And they did. And when Moses found out, he said, Men of Israel, arise and find those people who are committing fornication and worshiping Baal and slay them. And God says, I'll help you out. And so he started a plague through the camp where 24,000 people were killed and people were just dying left and right because of the sin of these men who were committing fornication and worshiping Baal. And there was a man named Phinehas who just had the zeal of God in him. He ran into the tent and these people were in there fornicating and he speared them through and the plague was checked. And after that, God singles out Phinehas and says, I stopped the plague because of this man's zeal for me. And he pronounces a special blessing on Phinehas and his descendants because he murdered these people engaging in false worship and immorality. That says something. We see Elijah in 1 King King 18, you know, they have the little um, competition of the gods and he sets this up so he can humiliate them and he mocks them and he ridicules them all day long. He just scoffs at these false prophets and at the end of the day, after he totally proves them wrong, he slays 450 of them with a knife. This is the greatest prophet who ever lived. You look at Zechariah 13. Zechariah 13 describes the parents who are so zealous that if they have a son who prophesies falsely, they will run him through with a spear because of their zeal for God. But you say, oh, Jack, that is the Old Testament economy now. You know, come on, you know, what about the New Testament? Who is the greatest man ever to live? John the Baptist. What did he do when he saw the false prophets, the false teachers of Israel coming down? You brood of vipers, who told you to flee from the wrath to come? That's how John dealt with them. Jesus exposed the Pharisees in public in Matthew 12:34, calling them, you brood of vipers, just like John did. And in Matthew 23, and you can just write this down, Matthew 23, if you want to see how Jesus, the one who was always loving and never functioned without being perfectly loving, dealt with false teachers, you look in Matthew 23. He stands up in public and he blasts the false teachers. He calls them hypocrites, I think, six times, blind guides of the blind, those who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. He keeps saying, you hypocrites, and keeps pronouncing woe on them, and keeps saying, you self-righteous, and just explains all their wicked deeds in public, in front of everybody, while everybody's standing there and watching them. And what's interesting is in Luke's account, and in Luke chapter 11, Luke... In chapter 11, verse 45, as Jesus was blasting the the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees for their false teaching and religious hypocrisy, some of the lawyers were standing by going, this is hurting our feelings too. And this is what one of them said in verse 45 of Luke 11. And one of the lawyers said to him in reply, teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. So what do you think Jesus did? Well, I've got to be loving. I am the personification of love. I, I'm sorry. Um, you know, I, I hate to be unkind. And, and uh, you know, um, I mean, these things were true, but uh, I'm sorry. Is that what he said? Well, let me tell you what he said. But he said to them, Woe to you lawyers as well! For you weighed men down with burdens too hard to bear, and while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you! For you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. And then he continued blasting them. Now, was Jesus loving? Yes. Was he always loving? Yes. Are we to be like Jesus? Yes. And so the question is, what's going on here? How could we be loving? And do this to false teachers. Do you remember what Jesus threatened against the church of Pergamum in Revelation 2? He said this, 
He says, I'm going to judge you because you have tolerated false teaching and immorality. Then later on, he says to the church of Thyatira, listen to this, Revelation 2.20, but this I have against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I am going to come against you because... You tolerate false teaching and wicked behavior. God does not want us to tolerate false teaching, false teachers, and or wicked behavior. As a matter of fact, when you look at the scriptures, you see this. In Romans 16, 17, it says we are to mark them out, false teachers. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we are to separate from them. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 6, we are to have no fellowship with them. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, we are to withdraw from them. In 2 Timothy 3, 5, and 7, we are to turn away from them. In Titus 1, 13, we are to rebuke them. In Titus 3, 10, we are to reject them. Now turn to 2 John, I don't know what chapter, verse 10 and 11. 2 John. You'll find the right chapter when you get there. We're going to answer the question, too, how you can be loving to them. Hold on. Second John, look at verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil Deeds. John says, listen, when it comes to false teachers, you don't listen to them. You don't hear their heresies. You don't hear their reasonings. You don't hear their justification. Now, if they want to listen, you can talk to them. You can share the gospel with them. You can tell them the truth. That's fine. You don't have to be mean and you don't have to be nasty. But, if they want to tell you their lies... You reject them, mark them out, separate, have no fellowship, withdraw, turn away, rebuke, reject, and do not greet them. And if you do, you're participating in their evil deeds. That's what the Word of God says. You cannot show love to God by tolerating those who are attacking the glory of God, attacking the truth of God, and attacking the people of God. Do you remember what happened in in Luke 14 when Jesus is speaking about the cost of discipleship. Do you remember what he said there? Let me tell you. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What's Jesus talking about there? Well, he's talking about the cost of discipleship. And he's saying this. Listen, if there ever comes a time when you have to choose between your father and me, or your mother and me, or your wife and me, or your daughter and me, or your brother and me, or your sister and me, or your son and me, anybody and me, and you choose them, you are not worthy to be my disciple. And this is what happens when false teachers come into the church. They force us to side with God, to side with God's truth. You cannot tolerate false teaching. You cannot let them attack God, attack God's truth, and attack God's sheep and say you're loving God. The only thing you could do is stand up against them. Call them to repentance. Tell them the truth. You don't dialogue. You reject them. Turn away from them. That's what the scriptures teach. That is what you and I are to do. And this is why when you go through the scriptures, and people even come to me and say, well, Jack, you know, do you have to... You know, name names when you're preaching. I mean, you know, I actually talk about certain denominations and stuff. That kind of bothers me. I mean, you know, you talk about certain people. I mean, can't you just talk about the error? No. I can't because the scriptures don't let me. I am to warn you. If I tell you, well, there's this person, I'm not going to tell you who they are. But if you get around them, they're going to teach you error. Who are they? Well, let me tell you. 
Why do you think Paul named Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10, and Paul named Hymenaeus and Alexander in 1 Timothy 1.18-20, and Paul named Hymenaeus and Philetus in 2 Timothy 2.17, and Paul named Alexander the coppersmith in 2 Timothy 4.14-15, and Paul named Janus and Jambres in 2 Timothy 3.8, and John named Diotrephes in 3 John 9-11, and Moses and Peter and Jude and John all named Balaam, and on and on and on it goes. Because that is the most loving thing to do for the sheep. You know, there's a landmine in the parking lot. Now, I'm going to tell you where it is. But it's out there. It's going to blow your legs off if you go out there. And I want you to know it's going to be painful. So be warned. Where is it? Well, you know, I don't want to tell, you know, get into the turf of the guys who take care of the parking lot. It's out there, though. Now, what is God's response to all of this? We know what we're supposed to do. Be on the guard. Be watching. Look for the characteristics of false teachers. Look for their evil motives. Look for their evil methods. Look for their evil ways. And when we spot them, we go to rebuke them. And if they do not listen and they do not repent, we reject them. Turn away from them. Do not even give them a greeting. We send them out. Now, what about God? What's his response? So I just want to look at one more text. Jude. And again, I don't know what chapter. Just go to Jude. And, uh, and in Jude, the whole theme is false teachers. There's so many goodies here. It would be fun to just preach through this whole book. But um, look at verse 4. And I just want to read you a chunk here and then we'll close. How is God going to respond to false teachers is the question. And as we read through here, what I want you to notice is how much of what we already spoke about is in this one text. Starting in verse 4. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once and for all, that the Lord Jesus, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their own proper devote, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the day of judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel... When he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them! For they have gone away the way of Cain, and for pay have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars, and here's the answer to the question, for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. False teachers are serious business. And it is your business and it is my business to be on guard, to watch, to examine, to do what 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, to examine everything carefully and to hold on to that which is good and to reject that which is false. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning knowing that your word has warned us that as the days progress, we will see more and more false teachers arising. 
We will see men proceeding from bad to worse, deceived and being deceived. We know that there will be a great apostasy as men fall away from the faith who were never really saved to begin with, who went to churches who were very eager to do many good deeds, but who never preached the gospel of life. Father, may each of us be zealous to learn the gospel and to share the gospel with those we run into, for we know it is your power to save all those who believe. And Father, may this church be on guard. Father, we know that the false teachers will come, but may we spot them and may we deal with them according to your word. For we know that is the right way to love you and show glory and honor to you. Amen.